Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, yeah Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Good day, tokers and tokets And non-toking lovers of liberty It is Wednesday, January 20th, 2016 And it's got to be 420 Somewhere in the world Welcome to the show, coming to you from beautiful, legal, potland, Oregon, my home for the next 11 days. That's right, we're leaving Rolla J Studios. It's amazing looking around here, the posters are down, the lanyards are down, half of the table and desks and printers are all packed away. We're getting ready to move out of this home, the uh, second location of Rolla, actually the third location of Rolla J Studios, as we were temporarily at Herb Thrasher's at one place, uh, one time for about a month. But uh, we'll be moving on, and most of what you'll be hearing from me over the next few months, probably leading all the way to the election, is going to be remote. I'm going to be on the road most of the year, and probably couch surfing in between that. So you're going to get all sorts of road shows delivered uh you know, the old fashioned way with a laptop and a microphone and uh, going completely mobile. So the Russ Belleville show is going to be quite an interesting nationwide spectacle this year. And if you're following me at Radical Russ on Twitter, you'll be able to catch up with all the locations. I'll make sure everyone knows where I will be headed. And I'd love to meet you. I'd love to meet all the fans out there. And, uh, Let's hope for a great 2016 and getting legalization in at least five more states and maybe more. We'll cover that all year long. All right, coming up on today's show, we've got a great guest joining us. Every couple of weeks on Wednesday, we celebrate Hemp Day Hump Day, and that means Doug Fine, Organic Cowboy on Twitter. He'll be joining us. He's the author of Hemp Bound and Too High to Fail, among other books, and uh, he's got his thumb on the pulse of what's happening with industrial hemp across the nation. So we'll talk to him coming up at half past. Also on the show today, we'll have time for a radical rant that I entitle Politics Ain't Beanbag. I'd rather be strongly wrong than meekly right. I uh, got my blood boiling over a few things going on here in the uh, marijuana movement locally and nationally. So want to get some of that off my chest today in today's radical rant. Also on the show today in drug war data mining, we're going to take a look at the scaremongering from Kevin Sabet and the folks at Project Samuel, smart approaches to marijuana use except legalization, and how they're trying to get the media's hair on fire about Colorado leading the nation in 12 to 17-year-old monthly marijuana use. Problem for Kevin is threefold. I'll tell you the three problems Kevin Sabet's got in trying to get the media scared of this statistic coming up in the data mines. But uh, that comes after our behind the headlines cannabis focus. And we're taking a look at the Northeast where a church will use pot extract at the Capitol and medical marijuana supporters are cringing. There's a story coming out of, I think it's Rhode Island and it has to do with, uh, you know, f- fans uh, or I guess, uh, contributors to the show they've called in a couple of times ann armstrong and uh uh what's his name uh, gordon uh, i forget his last name sorry so sorry about alan gordon ann armstrong and alan gordon it started with a, a 
and uh, they say they're going to uh, sur- smoke pot in a prayer so- ceremony at the state capitol, and it's all legal, etc., etc. We'll talk about that and the problems with that reasoning. That comes all after the Cannabis Radio News, and in the headlines today, we're taking a look at the state of Kansas, looking at uh, limited marijuana possession, Ohio lawmakers studying medical marijuana, Arizona lawmakers trying to restrict medical marijuana, activists in Illinois trying to expand medical marijuana, a dispensary opening in New Hampshire for medical marijuana, and a medical marijuana farm opening in the country of Chile. Lots of medical marijuana in the headline news today. Also coming up on the show, we will have our two Toker Talk Radio. We'll take your calls and talk about more. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. is shooting past a thousand degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's order. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. Chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines. Well, with four states with tax and regulate and the District of Columbia. The state of cannabis. Oh, my God, it's refreshing. We have people that generally wouldn't speak on behalf of cannabis for fear of retribution, fear of losing your practices, fear of of many of those things, and and find ourselves in in a a place that we finally can. Bringing you fact-based news and views and keeping listeners on the pulse of what's happening in the industry today. The State of Cannabis. On demand anytime, only on CannabisRadio.com. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Wednesday, January 20th, 2016. Kansas senators are considering a measure that would allow limited possession of marijuana. The bill includes provisions that reduce penalties for first- and second-time offenders. It also allows some medical cannabis treatment for those suffering from seizures and encourages industrial hemp research. The House passed the bill last year. In a Kansas Senate committee hearing Wednesday, parents of children with developmental disabilities discussed the advantages of using medical marijuana for seizures. Scott Schultz, executive director of the Kansas Sentencing Commission, also supported reducing criminal penalties for the possession of marijuana. The bill would reduce the severity of a first-time offense while a second conviction could be considered a misdemeanor instead of a low-level felony. 
Two state lawmakers plan to travel around Ohio gathering public opinion as the legislature contemplates its next move on medical marijuana. Republican Senator Dave Burke of Marysville and Democratic Senator Kenny Yuko of Richmond Heights on Tuesday announced a series of public forums in Cleveland, Toledo, Cincinnati, and Columbus. They'll hear Ohioans' opinions about making marijuana available for limited medical uses. The forums will kick off January 30th at Cleveland State University. Ohio voters resoundingly defeated a marijuana proposal last fall that would have legalized marijuana for both for both medicinal and recreational use. While unsuccessful, the effort made clear that a future question focused on medical marijuana could pass if lawmakers don't act. The senator's effort follows creation of a medical marijuana task force by the Ohio House. Republican lawmakers are trying to amend Arizona's Medical Marijuana Act to make it more difficult for patients to access medical marijuana in Arizona. Representative Kelly Townsend of Mesa introduced House Bill 2061 to remove pregnant women from the list of patients that can qualify for medical marijuana. The measure will most likely need three-fourths of the votes in both houses to amend the Voter-Backed Medical Marijuana Act. House Concurrent Resolution 2019 by Representative Jay Lawrence of Scottsdale removes naturopaths and homeopaths from the list of doctors that can issue medical marijuana referrals, leaving only doctors of medicine and osteopathic physicians. Representative Lawrence said naturopaths have taken advantage of the current system, and as a result, people who should not have access to medical marijuana are using it. Opponents say the measures are counterproductive. A statewide coalition plans to launch a social media campaign to press Illinois Governor Bruce Rauner's administration to expand the medical marijuana program to more patients. The Cannabis Patient Advocacy Coalition says its campaign will include short video testimonials from Illinois residents. It kicks off Monday with an Iraq war veteran asking for post-traumatic stress to be added to the list of eligible conditions. An expert panel in October recommended adding eight medical conditions to the marijuana treatment list. The Illinois Department of Public Health is expected to rule on the recommendations by the 1st of February. The advocacy group's campaign will use the hashtag the 8 the eight conditions are autism, irritable bowel syndrome, osteoarthritis, PTSD, and four pain syndromes. The New Hampshire Department of Health and Human Services has issued a medical marijuana registration certificate for a center in Rochester. Sanctuary ATC is the first to receive department approval to start cultivating medical marijuana in the state. The department is implementing the therapeutic cannabis program, which will include four dispensary locations and three cultivation centers. Once Sanctuary ATC has completed its cultivation, the department will inspect Sanctuary's dispensary in Plymouth to determine if it is ready to begin operations. The department will then issue a registration certificate without conditions to Sanctuary ATC, permitting Sanctuary to begin dispensing marijuana to qualifying patients and designated caregivers who have registered with Sanctuary. Sanctuary's dispensary is expected to start operating in the spring. Reuters reports that Chile welcomed Latin America's largest medicinal marijuana farm Tuesday, making another step in the region's growing acceptance of therapeutic uses for the formerly illegal plant. The plantation in the small town of Colburn, about 170 miles south of Santiago, will treat, help treat some 4,000 patients from across Chile, according to organizers. This comes as Chile's Congress debates the decriminalization of small amounts of marijuana for personal use and cultivation. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Wednesday, January 20th, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. Grab-
great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. I also believe we need a fence. The problem is if El Chapo builds a tunnel under the fence, we have to be able to deal with that too. Okay, maybe you're high too. Tokers, there's no good reason to get your dog stoned. While it might not harm them physically, imagine being a dog who already begs for treats all day, and then imagine that dog having the munchies. Not cool. Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, handle your Cannabis 280E and tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPA's Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. NewEraCPAs.com, with years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NewEraCPAs.com. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, I'm taking a look at a piece on Penn Live uh, entitled, Church Will Use Pot Extract at Capital, Medical Marijuana Supporters Cringe. And this is... Uh, about uh, Anne Armstrong, who has called into the show before, and we've discussed her situation many times, uh, in Rhode Island. She's the leader of the Healing Church. Get it? T-H-C. She's the leader of the Healing Church, and she says that her cannabis oil is a sacrament for religious anointing purposes and protected by the constitutional right to religious freedom. And... Basically, she's got a permit to do a ceremony at the Capitol Rotunda in Providence uh, from the State Department of General Services. And in her permit, she says that what she will be doing is using cannabis as an anointing uh, oil in a religious ceremony. And the department uh, spokesperson, uh, Troy Thompson, said, is there any limits on the church's use of cannabis during the event? He said he'd have to check on that. And she says that, oh, wait a minute, I'm sorry, uh, this is in uh, Pennsylvania where she'll be doing this. I'm sorry, she's the Rhode Island Church, but she'll be heading to the Pennsylvania capital uh, because she is going there supposedly to support the effort to legalize medical marijuana in Pennsylvania. She describes the effort as an emergency measure to stand up for the kids in the gap as the legislature messes around. Well, there's some problems with this thinking, and it's uh, coming out in what some of the medical marijuana supporters are saying in this article. Uh, Latricia Bench said, quote, I want to make it crystal clear we do not work with this group and we do not believe in their messaging. Christy Billet, uh, she says, I think they're pretty much trying to get arrested and make it into a media spectacle. Uh, she says, I can't disrespect what anyone is trying to do to help us. Do I worry this is going to hurt the cause? Yes. 
And and here's the problem with this uh, tactic, and it, it's already been shot down in her home state of Rhode Island, where she's had some problems trying to uh, use cannabis uh, at their um, use cannabis at the uh, uh, Roger Williams Memorial, and uh, of course they said no, this is federal property, cannabis is illegal. But the problem for this is that it uh, it it brings that circus atmosphere to the state of Pennsylvania, where they've been trying for medical marijuana for years and years and years. Dalen Leach, I think, is the uh, uh, lawmaker down there who's been working on this. But they've been trying for years and years and years, and it's just been an intractable state legislature and governor to try to get around with even the most moderate, limited medical marijuana uh, type of legislation. Remember, they don't have initiatives there. They have to go through their legislature. So you got these parents making the case for their epileptic kids, again, like the, the, the bare minimum medical marijuana you can do, the CBD oil type of medical marijuana, even just trying to get that through Pennsylvania is going to be a Herculean effort. So to have this deaconess show up and want to play this media spectacle of religious rights over cannabis oil muddies the waters and brings in the circus atmosphere that starts to frame this as being a joke, as being once again, the potheads are out trying to find some loophole to be able to use their weed. That's what the mainstream, especially we're talking Pennsylvanians are going to think of this kind of spectacle. Now, I am a firm believer in people's First Amendment rights to believe whatever the hell they want to or not believe whatever the hell they want to. And I don't mean, I don't say freedom of religion. I say freedom of belief because it goes beyond religion. I don't even care if it's a credo or a, a, you know, a top 10 list or a bucket list, whatever. You have the right to believe what you want to believe. So as long as it doesn't harm others. The problem with that is that the Supreme Court and the United States legal system has not yet recognized cannabis sacrament as one of those religious rights. Now, I think that people have the right to use cannabis because it's a Ninth Amendment right. The rights enumerated in the Constitution are not meant to uh, disparage or deny those held by the people or the states. And there's nothing in the Constitution that gives the federal government the right to regulate what I do with my body. And if we've had Supreme Court decisions based on the right to privacy in the first, third, fourth, fifth, ninth, tenth amendments that support Roe v. Wade and support Griswold v. Connecticut and Lawrence v. Texas and uh, Obergefell and all these decisions on reproductive rights, on on uh, consensual uh, uh, gay rights, um, gay marriage, uh, the use of, of contraceptives, all based on those constitutional rights to privacy, I believe we have that same right to use cannabis for that reason. To me, trying to get that solely on the religious right reason is kind of like a I'm a member of a special club, I'm a special person, I get a special right sort of thing. Like, because I don't have a fantasy deity in the sky that says a certain thing is holy, I don't get that right. No, we all get the right to use cannabis. And to me, it's just a little bit selfish to be fighting for just the religious right to use cannabis. And 
fruitless because it's been shown time and time again that the federal government, the way things are structured right now, is not going to recognize that right. They realize if they recognize a religious right to use cannabis, there will suddenly be 27, 28 million newly religious people in the United States. And based on the structure of their laws, it just can't happen that way. Now, it's not right. I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying it's the way it is. And in this world, we have to be practical when we make these political decisions, when we're trying to get medicine to sick kids. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. (laughs) Hey, it's 20 after. That means it's 420 in the Mountain Time Zone, where I will be headed back next Tuesday, Boise, Idaho. Tuesday night, 7 o'clock Mountain Time, I will be at the Boise State University Student Union Jordan Ballroom for a marijuana town hall. We'll keep it, we'll try to stream it live here on Cannabis Radio. Stay tuned for details. Follow me at Radical Russ if you'd like to know more. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. <laughs> what the hell are we paying you for? Are you stupid? Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Growing green to generate more green. Hello to all you happy herbalizers, smiling, trippy hippies, and everyone who believes in freedom and tolerance. This is The Grow Show, and I'm Kyle Cushman. From food to fuel, from remedy to resource. Welcome my guest, Ed Rosenthal, the guru of ganja. Let me ask you, right now I hear your lighter clicking. Are you smoking indoor, or are you smoking sun-grown? What am I smoking? I'm smoking concentrate. (laughs) (laughs) Way to get out of the answer there. So you're truly like the, the, the king, right? You just have you just clap your hands and somebody brings you a bowl and you're all set, right? Mm, I wish that were the case. <laughs> the Grow Show with Kyle Cushman only on CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest growing business association in the fastest growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel One on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Prohibition propagandists like the Joker to my Batman, Kevin Sabet of Project Samuel, smart approaches to marijuana use except legalization, are desperately crying out to the media for attention to a report from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration that explains how Colorado youth aged 12 to 17 now exhibit 
the highest rates of monthly teen marijuana use now at 12.56%. That's one in eight teenagers toking at least once per month. Scary. Joel M. Warner in the International Business Times explains how Sabet frets about the media's blackout of the news. Quote, What went through our heads was, This is big news, says Sabet. We felt this would absolutely reach a wide audience. End quote. After all, the day before, the National Institutes of Health's 2015 Monitoring the Future survey, which found that nationwide teen marijuana use had fallen slightly overall, had received widespread coverage. Wouldn't this report generate major headlines too? Sabet dropped out a press release. He waited for the onslaught of calls he expected from all of the reporters. And then all he heard was crickets. Why the crickets? Well, because there's three problems that the Sabets of the world have to deal with today that they didn't have to contend with in the 1980s and the 1990s. Number one. Google. (laughs) We no longer have to hear a scary statistic from a propagandist and take it at face value. Now, we can actually look it up for ourselves. I mean, Kevin Sabat runs to the media like Chicken Little and proclaims the sky is falling in Colorado. This was part of his press release. said, quote, Colorado now leads the country in past month youth marijuana use after legalizing marijuana in 2012. The state claims the dubious distinction after being in third place in the 2012-2013 report and fourth place in the 2011-2012 study. Other states that have legalized marijuana finished in the top six, the District of Columbia fourth, Oregon fifth, and Washington State sixth. End quote. So, the media looks up the very report Sabet so desperately wants to be given scrutiny, and right there, under its heading, Changes Over Time in Adolescent Past Month Marijuana Use, it reads, On an individual state level, three states experienced a statistically significant decrease in the rate of adolescent past month marijuana use, Hawaii, Ohio, and Rhode Island. The remaining 47 states and the District of Columbia experienced no change in past-month marijuana use. No statistically significant change. But it didn't take a mathematics degree for most journalists to figure out that Colorado has been a top-five marijuana state for five straight years, along with Rhode Island and Vermont, which haven't legalized marijuana. Number two, Excel. We no longer have to accept the scary statistics from propagandists because we can access the data for ourselves. The Monitoring the Future survey has been conducted by the government since 1975. All the data are published online and you can import them into Excel or any spreadsheet and crunch the numbers for yourself. Now keep in mind, there was no statistically significant change in past month marijuana use according to the report's authors. But if Kevin Sabet wants to play by his implicit rules that Colorado's increase from 11.56 to 12, or 11.16 to 12.56 over the past year means something, then all the figures for all the states are in play. 
The top 20 states for teen marijuana use have rates that are greater than the national average, and they have been consistently for the past five years. They're all medical marijuana or legalized marijuana states, but with differences as to whether they have legal markets or dispensaries or not. Eight states have consistently been in the top 10 by five-year rank and average. That would be Vermont, Rhode Island, Colorado, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Washington, D.C., Oregon, and Washington. What changed in those states over the past five years? Let's see, Vermont got two dispensaries opened in 2013, and the rate didn't change a bit. Rhode Island got one dispensary opened in 2013, and they were one of the three states with a statistically significant decline. Colorado legalized in 2012, and their rate increased slightly. New Hampshire passed medical marijuana in 2013, and their rate didn't change a bit. Massachusetts passed medical marijuana in 2012, and their rate didn't change a bit. Washington, D.C. legalized in 2014 after their rate increased slightly. Oregon tried to legalize in 2012, and the rate didn't change a bit. Legalized in 2014 after a slight increase. And Washington legalized in 2012, and the rate increased slightly. Marijuana legalization and reform doesn't create marijuana smokers any more than legalizing gay marriage created gay people or passing the Civil Rights Act created black people. Where there are marijuana smokers, legalization and reform will happen because people by nature demand their rights. And the number three thing Kevin Sabet can't handle these days. New media. The final nail in Kevin Sabet's What About the Children Scare Coffin is our vast superiority in the online realm. Myself alone, I have more Twitter and Facebook and Instagram followers than all of Kevin Sabet and all of his Project Sam acolytes combined. Then, multiply by hundreds of people like me, who are dedicated activists for the cause of legalization, and the now burgeoning industry of marijuana and marijuana media, so not only do we have facts, science, reason, logic, truth, evidence, compassion, and love on our side, we've got the megaphone now to broadcast it. Gone are the days when the drug, drug czar's office could pay to have uh, the Hollywood scriptwriters placing anti-marijuana themes in our sitcoms and our family dramas. The readers of newspapers and watchers of the CBS Evening News are dinosaurs, and the majority of the under-65 denizens of the new online world have tried marijuana for themselves at least once, and most likely when they were teenagers. You can't scare them anymore, Kevin. If you'd like to see the data behind that drug war data mine, head to MarijuanaPolitics.com. The post is... Rhode Island and Vermont teenage marijuana use exceeds Colorado over past five years. Lots of great graphs. Check it out. Doug Fine and the Hemp Day Hump Day update are coming up next. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. 
Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some, I assume, are good people. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Georgia. Hi, this is Willie Nelson. Alcohol prohibition didn't work in the 1920s, and marijuana prohibition isn't working today. It's time we stopped arresting responsible marijuana smokers. It's the fair thing to do. For more information, contact Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Call toll-free 888-67-NORML or visit their website at norml.org. The Fingerboard Extension has fretted instruments to enhance your creativity. It has new and used guitars and banjos from beginning to high class. The Fingerboard Extension has National Resophonic, Hassan Dalton, Larrabee, Heritage and Recording King guitars, and Mike Ramsey, Wildwood, Gold Tone and Recording King banjos. The Fingerboard Extension also has drum stuff, used gear, and parts. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis, Oregon at 120 Northwest 2nd, or check out the inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com and reverb.com. Marijuana legalization also ushers in the return of the American hemp industry. Get the latest news from the author of Hemp Bound and Too High to Fail, Doug Fine, in our Hemp Day Hump Day update. Welcome back, everybody. It's uh, Wednesday, and that means we get a chance to talk to my favorite uh, goat farmer, organic industrial hemp guy, my one of my favorite authors as well, and a good guy to boot. It's Doug Fine on the line. How you doing, Doug? Oh, thanks for that, Russ. It's always great to be here with you. How are you, how are you making it uh, during these uh, winter months? We blinked, and our New Mexico cold um, seems to have passed. I'm hoping it will it will come back, but um, the mountains in the wilderness above the Funky View Ranch here, where I, as you point out, where I'm a solar-powered goat rancher, are snow-covered. We've had a couple of good sledding weekends, but New Mexico hemp news is, is one of the things I'm most excited to discuss. Let's get into that. Right to it. New Mexico, land of enchantment. What's happening with hemp? Last year, our legislature bipartisan widely passed um, a hemp bill that was vetoed by the governor. And um, this year, um, it's just a really good feeling to see the way that all over this sort of really broad, you know, it's a huge state. It's it's a geographically and ethnically diverse state. People are getting together um, and working hard to get the hemp bill signed this year. Getting it passed is not, not such a mission, but getting it signed is, and we, we feel like we have um, uh, sympathetic legislatures. I've gotten a copy of my book, Hemp Bound, plus a letter to the governor addressing her veto note of last year. Um, her her uh, office has been delivered hemp gifts from, from people that already sell hemp products in the state and want to let our farmers grow it. And there's just a, a feeling like we've got it this year, and, and it's really been nice to um, be part of because uh, it's been... Uh, Farmers groups, people from all over the political spectrum, farmers in diverse parts of the state uh, coming from diverse crops that are all behind this. Even an architect outside of Albuquerque that's lobbying for wanting to use New Mexico hemp in uh, her hemp creek plan. So I'm really hoping that um, 
two or three hemp day hump days from now, I'll be able to give you the good news that we, we have approved hemp in New Mexico, which means my family can plant here. My human and goat kids are ready for homegrown hemp seed oil. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Now, I know we've talked before and, and how you uh, uh, want to have uh, try cropping, you know, try to get the most out of the, the hemp plant for food, fuel, fiber, all of its possible uses. But as it becomes legalized in more and more areas of the country, do different regions provide different advantages for different types of hemp cultivation? Like would, would one area of the country be better for fiber, another better for seed and, and another better for oil? Or does it work that way? It's possible that it will wind up shaking down a little bit of that, that way for um, a whole bunch of different reasons. It could have to do with access reasons, acreage availability um, reasons, as much as anything to do with climate and soil and, and realities in the ground. Because uh, hemp is pretty broadly, um, it's very, one of the things I'm finding is that the uh, 1898 USDA uh, handbook on, on uh, for farmers, which included a chapter on hemp calling it the best weed suppressant known to man, among other things, um, was really right about the fact that it's an extremely adaptable plant. It's an, it's an amazing thing. There's, there's PhD theses waiting to be done on the, what you're seeing between year one, two, and three. I'm thinking now specifically of farms that I've uh, been paying attention to in Kentucky and Vermont, that um, uh, in terms of what the hemp, same hemp, same genetics does, adapting to its environment. So I really believe that you can grow a broad, broad spectrum of cultivars for all kinds of applications. Um, but for instance, you might have, um, to, to name a state where um, hemp research is going ahead in an impressive way in North Dakota, you may have vast acreage available for hemp that could be useful in biomass uh, energy, for instance, uh, or you might have um, uh, hemp being grown near to a Silicon Valley uh, channel outside of a Seattle or Portland that um, may go into next generation nanotechnology. But I think we're going to see um, a broad combination of applications in every area. Um, the hot application for hemp right now uh, is nutraceuticals because it's able to be, you can market it without, uh, thanks to lawsuits and battles that were fought in the 90s, you can, and if it's less than 0.3% THC, it's a product you can sell like anything else. You can go to the supermarket and buy hemp seed oil today. Likewise, you could buy extractions from the hemp flower that uh, meet the today's <clears throat> arbitrary definitions, <clears throat> excuse me, of hemp. So um, rendering things that are health maintenance uh, applications, salves or, or edibles, um, from hemp cultivars or hemp varieties is the hot market right now. And I think it's a big question mark is um, how big is that market? Is it growing fast? Is, is the acreage going to outpace the demand or are we just at the tip of the iceberg? I tend to be bullish and optimistic, but um, I'm, I'm of that nature. But going back to Idafel, whenever I've been bullish and optimistic in my predictions, uh, it's been correct. So I'm going to stick with it and say that we're going to see a multi-billion dollar nutraceuticals market. But uh, hemp seed oil is not, uh, not to be scoffed at either for industrial or, or edible use in the U.S. One other point I want to make about that is when um, people who follow hemp tout the incredible growth that we've seen in the Canadian market and now the North American market and how bullish the Canadian um, pioneers were about the U.S. coming online because of the big demand curve, it doesn't make sense when you read a recent headline that says that the two biggest buyers out in Western Canada are not buying hemp seed oil from farmers next year because they believe that they have enough in stock. But the operative word there is organic. Or the, the demand for organic is so great that uh, folks that are growing with that in that healthier mode have 
at this point, I, there's no such thing as an unlimited market, but in terms of, you know, likely to be continuous, let's say 10 year growth, if I were to predict it, I would say anything you were doing that, that is organic in the realm of hemp um, is a very, very promising market. All right. So now looking at uh, the further development of, of other states, do we have any updates from the other states that are pursuing hemp right now? This morning, I woke to a bunch of texts from uh, from Hawaii saying, please, 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 look at our bill, look at our bill, give us a, any comments that's going to be introduced soon. The deal is their big um, uh, sugar mill uh, on Maui is closing down and opening up 35,000 acres that a lot of people have been just pulling, you know, it was like rubbing a, 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 a genie's lamp or something, waiting for that day of being able to say, we know what you can do with it. And uh, sure enough, a bill is being introduced that has um, what we've talked about, Russ, in the past here on Hemp to Hump Day as the Kentucky mode, the sort of um, mode that allows under the current research provision uh, to uh, allow private farmers to cultivate. Our New Mexico bill is going to allow that as well. Some states are not as um, friendly uh, in that regard and that the first baby steps are being taken only by uh, university studies on a very small scale. So I've got to, when we get off our Hemp Day Hump Day today, finish um, six pages into their 13-page bill and offer my comments before it's introduced there. So Hawaii looks like uh, it has a bright hemp future. And this is going to be the year on the federal level. I'm convinced we are going to get the Industrial Hemp Farming Act passed, which is, it's honestly, I mean, it seems grandiose. If people are listening who are not already on the the, the Canada's hemp bandwagon, you know, it sounds like your roommate with a lava lamp, but this is a journalist with 20 years experience talking to another very experienced journalist and saying, uh, this is going to be a big bill for humanity because it's going to unleash farmers to be able to uh, uh, cultivate for commercial purposes. And what that means is your Tesla is going to be made out of hemp fibers charged by a uh, uh, a solar panel uh, uh, batteries that are efficient and light made from uh, hemp fiber themselves, all issues that I've been uh, reporting on over the past year. And there is finally, it really looks like momentum uh, in Congress. I and others are converging in February um, to really try and get uh, um, the Hill, the Capitol Hill, to uh, pass the Industrial Hemp Farming Act and and we're off to the races. Yeah, I think that can happen with the bipartisan support it's getting. And you've got, you know, the two senators from Kentucky, both Republicans, both very powerful Republicans in the Senate that are, are behind this. And uh, we're looking forward to moving that ahead. And it, it opens up uh, a question that I've had, you know, uh, hemp's been legal around the world in other countries for a long time, but it never has seen to rise to the promise of hempsters of you know, how it's going to save the planet. Are we just at a point now where there's a, a confluence of factors like that graphene technology, like the push for organics, like, you know, uh, the, the problem of fracking, are we just having a perfect storm now that's going to lead to the final, you know, with the U S legalizing it, bringing the world up into this world of hemp that we all envision. It's partly that I think you're right that, that, so much, especially in the world of politics, has to do with timing. But um, again, I'm I, I'm not somebody interested in tooting my own horn. There's just this dynamic that I'm proud of because I took a risk a number of times and and made predictions and and pointed out things that seemed out on the limb at the time. And so there, so you know, it's a lonely life being a, a journalist and an investigative reporter. So um, I'll I'll. I'll uh, cavell, as they say in Yiddish, and say that in Hempbound, the book, I said there's a factor here that the Europeans are not taking into consideration about how big it means that the U.S. is coming online. Because I was not getting the bullishness when I was doing my European interviews for Hempbound. They were saying, eh, 
it's creeping along, moderate growth. I don't know why you guys are bothering to get into this. And what I said in the book is what you Europeans, as usual, are not taking into consideration is the really, you can say what you want about negative things about the, so, you know, the American identity, right? The American personality, but that go get him, get her done person uh, mentality of personality, then not taking no for an answer and refusing to fail uh, mentality is how we've launched everything. The automobile revolution, the Silicon Valley revolution. And I said in hemp, it's going to happen again in hemp. And within a year of the, uh, passage of the research provision that we're now operating under on the federal level, basically the first really codified ending of, of cannabis prohibition. Uh, there's been others since then, um, as, as you and your listeners know, but uh, the 2014 hemp bill, um, the, within a year of that, we had a research paper published saying that hemp-based uh, fibers on the nano level outperform any other kind of supercapacity uh, graphene sheets, uh, uh, you know, one carbon, one atom thick carbon sheets uh, of any other material at one one thousandth of the cost. I am holding right now in my hand a plastic hemp plastic goat uh, that uh, was printed out as I was reporting on it uh, um, last year. So we're talking about petroleum-free plastics that was. Uh, in Colorado, we are talking about the reality of what your wildest dreams about what hemp might mean to the future of food security, energy uh, security, uh, a cleaner uh, future, soil healing, phytoremediation. remediation. All of it is proving even bigger and more true than uh, than we could have hoped. And a lot of that has to do with uh, the catalyst of the American optimism and energy, and even the Europeans get it and admit it now. They're on the on the bandwagon saying hemp's time has come, and there's there's simply no denying it. Oh wow, Doug Fine, author of Hemp Bound and Too High to Fail. I know you are traveling around the country all the time. Where's the next few places you're going? And if people want to get in contact with you, how can they do it? Thanks for that, Russ. On uh, January. 30th, I will be keynoting the Carbon Economy Summit in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, after that, uh, um, some work on DC, in DC on the uh, federal bill. And from there, I'm going to be joining in on uh, the hemp road trip of my good friend, uh, hemp, uh, hemp farmer Rick Trojan, who uh, um, came to hemp while he was uh, recovering from a, um, a prescribed medication that didn't. Uh, sit with him well. I forgot what he was, what he had been prescribed it for. But he, while he was down, he read Hemp Bound, and uh, last year had one of the biggest hemp farms in America. Now uh, he and I and some others are going to be bouncing around to various primaries, giving talks about that. And folks can come to my events page. Everything's at DougFine.com or follow me on Twitter at Organic Cowboy Two C's there in the middle um, for uh, information on all that. All right. That sounds great. And I'm sure we'll run into each other on the road somewhere. Uh, Doug, can't wait to see you again. And I want to see that little hemp plastic goat. I think that'd be cool. I'll try to scan a photo and uh, get it up on Twitter. Yeah. Awesome. All right, man. Take it easy. And my best to the kids, both types. (laughs) Thanks for having me, Russ. We'll talk soon. All right. Bye-bye. Oh, I love talking to Doug Fine. Hey, folks, stick around. We got time for a little bit of a radical rant here. Politics ain't beanbag. I'd rather be strongly wrong than meekly right. Coming up next, and then in hour two, we'll take your calls at 971-533-7111. I got a few topics. That absurd taxation is theft argument. Legal home delivery in Seattle. Toking events in Denver. And South Dakota wants to drug test everyone for welfare. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. 
Dr. Dabber, hurry! Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up! I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's orders. Less heat, more flavor. The Russ Belleville Show reminds you to never smoke and drive impaired. Hang out for a while and share. Doc Rob, the concierge for better living. Cannabis is just one of the many great plants that we have on this planet called Earth that we can use consciously and intelligently to improve our well-being. Take a real, raw, inside look at healthier living while sharing great ideas and improvements for a better quality of life. Learning to live and live well is a lifelong process. This is a journey. It could be you could be 80 years old or 8 years old. You can still learn something that's going to make tomorrow a little bit healthier, a little bit easier, a little bit happier, a little bit better. The Concierge for Better Living with Doc Rob. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make them. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. One major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. Well, today I want to talk a little bit about what it's like being in marijuana legalization and reform. There's a lot of uh, politics involved, and it brings to mind two quotes that I hold near and dear to my heart. First one from Finley Peter Dunn, who once said, politics ain't beanbag. And the other one from Tallulah Bankhead, uh, the actress and <laughs> really firebrand, uh, who shares my birthday of January 31st, who once said, I'd rather be strongly wrong than weakly right. And why I bring this up has to do with, well, I, I don't want to get into the personal issue that's involved, the personalities or, you know, who the actual people are that I'm talking about. But I just want to keep this general in discussing how sometimes, you know, people take offense and get upset over the politics involved in marijuana legalization. Or, you know, I'm sure this is in all, you know, uh, movements as well, but just, just for our sake, we'll talk about marijuana. And Take personally being called out or being uh, disagreed with strongly on a particular issue. And I got called out on this. I I had a a good friend who called me out on this saying that, you know, 
Part of the problem, Russ, is that, you know you act like an asshole sometimes when you're trying to talk to people that you disagree with. And I'm not saying that's not true. <laughs> I'm not saying that's not the perception that's given off. Uh, okay, uh, I'll accept that. But what I'd like people to understand is it's not the intent necessarily. See, I, I come from a background where arguing over things was a sport, was an activity. It was fun debating, right? I was on the speech and debate team. It was something that was done as an activity. And so long as you're sticking to the issues and being fair, then anything goes as far as the debate goes, especially in this circumstance, because to my perspective, we are engaged. I took it seriously when President Nixon said, this is a war on public enemy number one, the scourge of drug addiction in America or drug use in America, whatever, whatever the exact quote is. I took it seriously when my government declared war on me. And, and being involved in a war means that I don't have a lot of time to worry about whose feelings might get hurt in the battle. And just this, this situation here, you know, getting it, being involved in this war, it's important to understand who your enemy is. What is this war about and who are you fighting it over? And to me, this war is about my liberty to do with my body what I choose happens to be that I want to put marijuana in it, but I'll equally stand up for the right of people to have sex in the way they choose people to use other drugs in the way they choose people to pierce or tattoo or enhance anything they want in their bodies, your body, your choice, right? For me, it happens to be marijuana. I like to smoke pot. And I don't think I should be harassed or discriminated against or arrested or possibly killed and have my stuff seized because of that. So to me, that's what the war is about. And then you got to figure out, well, who's the enemy? Who wants to keep it this way? Who is fighting against me? Who wants to punish me for doing what I want to do with my body? And I figure, well, that's cops that can arrest me and drug testers and rehabs and prison guards and pharmaceutical industries. Those are the top five I think of that want to keep discriminating against me, who want the state to be able to continue to lock me up, to take my stuff, to shoot my dog. That's my enemy. Okay. Now in that war, you've got what you're fighting about, who you're fighting against. Now you got to figure out how are you fighting this war? Well, this isn't a war of bullets, I mean, at least from our side, <laughs> they get to shoot us. We we don't get to shoot them. But uh, what the battle, what the battle is, what we're how we're fighting is through the ballot box, either through the initiative states or through the legislation process in the other states, but by voting for politicians who will then enact legalization. But it's all about voting. It's all about votes. Okay. That votes are our bullets in this war. And our votes, our bullets, must be fired against our enemy, the cops, the rehabs, the prison guards, the drug testers, and the pill pushers. And that's how we win the war. 
So over the years, as I've had to face off against fellow pot smokers in 2010 in California, 2012 in Washington State, 2015 in Ohio, and now 2016 in Colorado and Arizona and Massachusetts and Missouri, etc., 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 who want to fire the bullets against us, who want to commit friendly fire, who want to vote against and convince other people to vote against legalization proposals, to me, that's giving aid and comfort to the enemy. To me, that is treason. To me, you're fighting for the other side. You're helping the cops, the rehabs, prison guards, drug testers, and pill pushers continue to discriminate against and incarcerate me in this war. So as the debates came up through 2010 and 2012 and 2015, and people even in the marijuana movement who like me generally got upset. I don't like you characterizing me as being a prohibitionist. Are you voting against legalization? You're a prohibitionist. That's not ad hominem. That's not name calling. That's accurately labeling a set in uh, of voters. There are voters who are voting for legalization. They would be legalizers. There are voters who are voting for prohibition. Those would be prohibitionists. When you vote against legalization, you're voting to maintain the prohibition status quo. So, yeah, I call people stoners against legalization, or I call them prohibitionists, because that is, at least in this one battle, the what your actions are telling me you are. Now, just because someone ends up being my enemy on, say, Ohio 2015, doesn't mean I won't fight with them in future battles. If, you know, there's a lot of people in the, in the marijuana community who were against me on, in 2015 and were on the same side in 2016 for California. Great. That's fine. Now, in 2016 in California, you're a legalizer. That's great. And I don't take it personally. When it's coming back the other way, I get people calling me a shill and a whore and a suck up and an appeaser and hell, I get called rectal rust in print. I mean, come on now. That's really ad hominem, right? But I don't take that personally either. Because those people sincerely and strongly disagree with me. And that's great. Other than the rectal rust stuff, right? (laughs) But, you know. They sincerely and strongly disagree, and they make their point. I disagree with it, and that's fine, and we move on, and we continue. But this idea that somehow in this legalization world, especially as it becomes more contentious and broader, as it starts to be not just about arrests, but more now about business and how that unfolds, there's going to be disagreements. Politics ain't beanbag. People are going to have strong opinions. And they're going to express them. And we should encourage that. We should want that. This idea that like people who are on a board should necessarily agree or get along in every particular respect. That's awful. I want divergence and diversity of opinion. But now what seems to be happening is instead of having one big umbrella of marijuana reform or three or four or five big ones... 
We're going to have more and more splintered ones. We're going to have 70 different organizations, the chambers of commerce and the industry associations and the advocacy groups and the consumers unions and the reform organizations and the policy projects. And, oh, my God. And I just wonder, is that the divide and conquer that takes legalization down a peg over the next 10 years? We'll talk more about it as time goes on, but that's all the time we got for Hour 1. Stay tuned for Hour 2, coming up next, live on CannabisRadio.com. For everyone here at Roller Gay Studios, I'm Radical Russ. Until next time, take care of each other, tokers! This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a scene, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a scene, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a scene, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Now it's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Or you can tow. I am here. Uh, or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Portland, Oregon, at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man, the Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and and the, the next thing you know, they got ten years. And now, here's your host, the guru of ganja graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. All right, welcome back, everyone. Hour two, Toker Talk Radio on the air. Phone line is 971-533-7111. Hanging out here for our last few shows in this Roller J Studios. We'll be hitting the road in 2016, trying to legalize marijuana nationwide in what I call the fill-in-the-back tour, <laughs> otherwise known as the Legalize America tour. I was just talking about uh, my support for legalization and my view that this is a war on drugs. This is a war, and uh, as such, we should fight it like it's a war. And people that give aid and comfort to the enemy in the war uh, should be called out for doing so. And I have, and it's not always made me popular. <laughs> in fact, I was really unpopular, even with a lot of people. I'm telling you, folks, friends I've had for five, ten years in this movement who've strongly supported everything I've ever done, hated my support of Ohio issue three hated it. <laughs> and 
and I understand why they did. Totally understand why they did. And I hope we're still friends. I still like them and I hope they still like me. Um, but I hope they understand where I'm coming from. For me, there's five things I'm looking for in my legalization. Can I smoke it? Can I buy it? Can I grow it? Can I sell it? And can I be free from discrimination? Those, those are the five things I want in legalization. Now, that's what I want in legalization. As the Stones once sang, you can't always get what you want. But if you try sometime, you just might find you get what you need. For me, it's a hierarchical list. And none of those things, not having some of those things, is not a deal breaker to me. The number one thing is, can I smoke it? It's got to have that. If if it doesn't have, can I smoke it? The rest of them are useless anyway, right? So if it's got, can I smoke it in it? I'm voting for it. Can I smoke it? I'm voting for it. So every legalization that has been on the ballot so far in my career here, there have been 13 of them since 2000, would allow me to possess and smoke marijuana. Then I'm for it. It ends cops' ability to mess with me over the smell of weed. It ends cops' ability to arrest me, to take my stuff, to shoot my dog. Oh, that's what I need. Can I smoke it? Which, which necessarily means, can I possess it, right? I like to say, can I smoke it, though, because can I possess? It's like, well, why would you possess unless you were going to consume it, right? And, and you could say consume rather than smoke if you're a vapor or whatever. But, you know, you get my point. Can I use marijuana? Now, if you look at I-502, which I will, I will say, I-502 is the worst legalization in America so far. It's what happens when you get drinkers who write a marijuana legalization and then get an alcohol expert to consult on it <laughs> and then have it run by a liquor board. So, yeah, I-502 is the worst legalization there is. But it's a million times better than the best prohibition in any other state. Because I can go into Washington State, have weed on me and not be harassed, go into a store and buy it. So it's got two of my three. It's got can I smoke it? It's got can I buy it? That's great. It's got two out of the three. I'm willing to vote for what it's got one. Can I smoke it? But now it's got two. Can I smoke it? Can I buy it? It'd be better if it had can I grow it? And it has can I sell it? If I go get a license, I can sell it. So it's got three of my five. And number five, can I live my life free of discrimination? Well, it actually increased some discrimination by creating that per se DUID. That actually created, that added to discrimination. So we're going to have to take one of the three away. They cancel out, right? So the can, the can I sell it is canceled out by the, the discrimination one. So I'm getting two out of my five, so I'm still going to vote for it. Because it takes away that ability for cops to fuck with people. And I'm not opining this is the fact. All marijuana charges dropped 63% in the state of Washington, even without home grow. That means a whole bunch of people that were growing didn't get busted because just an ounce of possession was legal. Now, this is the part where people will chime in and say, but the medical marijuana, but the medical marijuana, oh my God, they're shutting down medical marijuana. It's awful. The sky is falling with medical marijuana. Oh my God. No, what's happening here is two things that that they interface each other, but they're two separate. They they are two things. One is legalizing marijuana. The other is regulating medical marijuana. 
And Washington State never got around to doing that part, the regulating medical marijuana part. And people on the medical marijuana side that want to bring up, oh my God, I-502 is causing this and that to happen, should at least own up to the shenanigans that were going on in Washington State that led up to the legislature not trusting or believing medical marijuana as being something legit and needing or feeling they needed to regulate it or over-regulate it or over-restrict it, whatever you want to call it. Let's not forget, this is the place where the medical marijuana community was all all against having some sort of state registry, can't have a state registry, that's like sex offenders, which it isn't, but state got to have a state registry, and yet, and yet, they couldn't see how that was being abused. They wouldn't own up to how that was being abused by all these different clinics that were handing out paper to any, just about anybody who'd pay for it. You can't deny the naturopaths in a tent at the Seattle hemp fest who are handing out recommendations on pieces of paper to lines of eager 20 something skate punks who are ready to get high before the Cottonmouth Kings concert. Those things have an effect And they have the effect of eroding any sort of trust you had from your public officials. So don't blame it all on I-502. Take some responsibility for understanding Washington's medical marijuana clusterfuck, which was encouraged to continue by a lot of people in Washington's medical marijuana industry, had a lot to do with it. And another thing that had a lot to do with it, these medical marijuana people who were making money hand over fist in a quasi-regulated situation not putting their money toward a better legalization to get on the ballot. There were guys trying for a long time in Washington state to get better legalizations on the ballot. Where were all those five and six figure donations from these medical marijuana millionaires coming in? Those didn't materialize, did they? Politics ain't beanbag. I'd rather be strongly right than meekly wrong. Strongly wrong than meekly right. Excuse me. And there may be times where I'm strongly wrong, but I'm going to go down strongly defending my point of view. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, another discussion I got into earlier today on Twitter with Stoner Jesus that uh, leads me to discussing the absurd libertarian taxation is theft argument. Ugh. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. The Russ Belleville Show. We're as much like Cheech and Chong as ordinary Americans are like the Three Stooges. Hey, Mo! 
The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, handle your cannabis business 280E in tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPA's Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. NewEraCPAs.com, with years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NewEraCPAs.com. You're tuned into the Rush Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Thank you, Dan Michaels. And uh, I want to talk a little bit off the warpath here, but it's it's not too far off the warpath because it's something that comes up in uh, discussions about marijuana. That is the idea of taxes. And... Um, Oftentimes in the marijuana movement, we deal with a lot of people who are of the libertarian bent. And so it's, it's, a, it's a common libertarian refrain to say, taxation is theft. Taxation is the government taking my money by threat of force, by the barrel of a gun. They're thieves taking my money. And so I wanted to talk about that because one thing that always cracks me up about that uh, is oftentimes I end up in this argument with people who are diehard Second Amendment supporters. We're talking the open carry types, right? By God, Congress there shall make shall not be infringed. The right to bear arms shall not be infringed. No infringement. You're infringing. Don't you go fringing. Shall not be infringed. Second Amendment, absolute right. Got to have guns. Got to have guns everywhere. Anywhere I want a gun, I can have a gun. I should have any gun I want because, God damn it, the Constitution says so. It's right there in the Constitution. Shall not be infringed. So the people that give me that are the same ones that give me the taxation is theft. Taxation is theft by the government. The government's thieving. They're taking money. Well, f- well, wait a minute. Isn't that the 16th Amendment? 16th Amendment says Congress shall be given the power to appropriate taxes on income. So we love us the Second Amendment, but we don't love us the 16th Amendment. We get to just pick and choose. Like the Constitution's down a la carte menu, right? We get to pick and choose which ones we like. So I, I was inspired by this on my Twitter account today, and if you want to go back and read the timeline, you can. Me and Stoner Jesus got into a long old discussion about this, and and here's my issue with the people that say the taxation is theft. See, you come in, and, and one of his complaints was, oh, I didn't vote for the 16th Amendment. I didn't vote for taxation. Well, okay, well, by that measure, you didn't vote for free speech, the right to bear arms, and freeing the slaves either, right? I mean, come on. <laughs> At some point, don't we have to accept that as citizens, you know, part of getting this great thing called birthright citizenship in this country 
is the exchange for the fact that being a birthright citizen means we have this constitution and under this constitution, there are these amendments and these bills and laws and, and they apply to all of us because we're all citizens, right? But no, this, this idea that taxation is theft is centered on this really selfish idea that by God, I, you know, I'm a self-made independent island of a man. I come in here and I make money and then the government takes it. Why? The government's just stealing my money. Well, first of all, let's talk about the concept of money. You're not getting paid in chickens. You're not getting paid in lumber, right? You're getting paid in a currency. And a currency can only exist with a government to enforce it. Really, it can only exist with a guy. It's right there on the bills and coins, you know, that it's part of the government. The government makes that exist. Without it, we'd have to pay each other in barter. And we all found that barter was not a quite as an efficient system. So as a society, we agreed that we would set value on this thing called currency and use it to trade with one another. The fact that that exists and the banking and the Federal Reserve and all of this, the deposit insurance and all of these governmental things that have to exist, the SEC, the stock markets, all these things that have to exist to enable this sort of currency-based economy to exist are because of the government. It's not your money. It's our money. It's our society's money. Society created this concept called money, and for it to exist, we have to have a government. And for the government to exist, it has to be funded. And as a society, we passed an amendment that figured out how to fund it through the taxation on income. So that's the first part. And the second thought, is about what your income is and how you are able to get this income. If you are making an income, not only did you have a government that supported the currency that makes it possible to pay you, but a government that creates and maintains the roads that you drove on to get to work and created the safety standards for the car that you're in so that you didn't die on the way there or pollute or punish the people around you to some extent. And we have the food that you ate to nourish your body while you were working, that food was not poisonous or spoiled because we had governmental agencies that were making sure that it was tested and guaranteed. And you have, some of you might work with other people or, or have to have assistance or something. And those people all have educations. They're all able to add and subtract and basically read and write that didn't come out of nowhere. They came from public schools, people that went to school to be in and universities to be able to learn these things. And a lot of you like me, you're working on the internet, something that w was DARPA. It was the U S government's defense advanced research projects agency, the government, the department of energy put that together. So these people that say, well, I made the income and the government came and take, no, you started with a whole bunch of government resources to be able to make that income. And now you were asked, the rest of us are asking you to pay it a little back so that government and that society can continue for the next batch of birthright citizens who show up to be able to also make incomes. Now, if you don't like paying the taxes, this is the other thing they say, well, it's, it's mandatory. You're forced. You absolutely must pay taxes. No, you don't. You don't have to pay taxes. Be homeless. 
be a homeless guy. Homeless guys aren't paying taxes. Or renounce your citizenship and move out of the country. Because really, you don't expect to be able to sit in here and not pay taxes and then get the benefits of all the stuff the rest of us are paying taxes for. Is that your argument? You're going to be a free road, a free rider, freeloader on our society? No, we're all paying the taxes, so you're going to pay your fair share too. Or you can get the hell out of the country and go live in land of sovereign property land, wherever the hell that is. Cayman Islands, I don't know, where Dubai, wherever it is you want to live and not pay taxes. I don't know where that's at. But we all agreed through our Constitution, we came up with an amendment. If you're going to sit here and defend the Second Amendment as being sacrosanct, or like a lot of us in the drug war, defend the Fourth Amendment or the Fifth Amendment as sacrosanct, or states' rights, Tenth Amendment, sacrosanct, then by God, the Sixteenth Amendment, sacrosanct. We all decided as a society we were going to tax each other's incomes in order to fund our society. Now, we can argue about how much that tax is, that it should be a lot lower for us poor people, a lot higher on the corporations, distributed differently, spent differently, collected differently, sure. But the idea that there's not going to be tax, get real. Furthermore, these people aren't always against taxes. They say, well, sales tax would be okay. We could have a sales tax. Well, what's a sales tax? The government taking your money by theft because you decided to enter into an economic transaction with someone. <laughs> uh, happy 420, everyone. I need to get a little more high. is shooting past a thousand degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's order. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. Get the latest updates on the Russ Belleville Show by following Radical Russ on Twitter and liking the Russ Belleville Show on Facebook. It's time for Cannabis Facts About Alzheimer's from Robert Platshorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. A new Florida study in the journal Molecular and Cellular Neuroscience found that cannabis promotes the growth of healthy new brain tissue. It can slow the effects of Alzheimer's and may, in fact, be able to halt it entirely. A long-term study by Ohio State University's Professor Gary Wink concludes that people who regularly use marijuana get Alzheimer's at a much lower rate than others. This was Cannabis Facts from thesilvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. The Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details.
Remember, friends, there's more to life than marijuana. I just can't remember what it is. Why'd I come in here? You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. Talking about legalized marijuana here on the Russ Belleville Show. We got a couple of stories that uh, highlight how we still have a long way to go. You know, maybe a lot of people uh, in the South or the Midwest are like, oh, man, Colorado, Washington State, you got legal weed. Everything's good. Okay, so yeah, everything is good, but it could be better. <laughs> it could be better. And there's a story coming off KIRO-TV uh, about how there's a new bill in the Washington State Legislature to create a pilot program for marijuana home delivery service. Now, they already have home delivery services, but they're all operating illegally right now. And one thing Washington has shown is they don't want to let, leave any tax money on the table, right? If someone's out there doing it illegally, they want to find a way to undercut that and bring it into the legal market. So this pilot program, they'd allow five of the existing I-502 marijuana stores to offer delivery uh, services. This is all be in Seattle, five stores in Seattle. Uh, it would have a uh, delivery requirements, employee training, and so forth. And according to uh, Seattle Mayor Ed Murray, he says, quote, we must address illegal delivery services that are undermining I-502 and allow responsible business to offer delivery service in Seattle. The proposed pilot delivery program, along with increased enforcement of existing marijuana laws, will better protect consumers or customers, patients and business owners while strengthening the legal marijuana industry. There have been 19 uh, legal pot stores have opened in Seattle since I-502, but the number of illegal delivery services are up to 24. <laughs> so you get 19 stores trying to follow the rules, trying to follow the law. And again, no argument for me that it's been a pretty awful rollout with I-502. But here you got 19 good actors trying to follow the law. And what? You're going to get 24 of these guys once again, skirting the rules, skirting the law to illegally deliver weed. And it's just something, you know, I, I understand how people want to get the jump and they want to do these things. And they feel it should be, you know, they want to find these loopholes and stuff, push the envelope as it were. And you could argue that it's a good thing they did because if these guys hadn't been, Illegal, illegally offering delivery, would there have been as much pressure then to try to come up with this legal pilot delivery program? Probably not. But um, I don't think the guys doing the illegal deliveries uh, were doing it out of some sort of civil disobedience to get the law changed. In fact, I'll bet these are the guys that are going to scream the most about this pilot program as it'll be something that will be competing with them. And this is something that that troubles me as we move forward in legalization, right? Because when marijuana was illegal, there's a certain aspect to doing illegal things to protest it, right? Smoke-ins and that kind of stuff. But now that it's legal, there's a certain pressure to show that, yes, indeed, you can trust us, that we will follow rules. And it makes the idea of doing like smoke at smoke ins and delivery services illegally and, you know, 
cannabis cafes and clubs trying to find, you know, loopholes and it, it does open up, you know, how much of that, you know, how far can you go with that and still retain the public's goodwill? How much of that will be blowback of C, we gave them an inch, they're taking a mile. We, we, tried to, we tried to come up with some reasonable regulations and they wouldn't follow them. So we're going to have to try to figure that out uh, and where the, where the balance is. I, I'm hopeful that this pilot program does well and that we have marijuana delivery services. I Really, of course, marijuana should be like any other product. We should be able to buy it, sell it, deliver it. I mean, what's the argument against a marijuana delivery? service what's the argument against that right in fact there there should be an argument for it and aside from just the the medical patient argument right i I try to keep these discussions about legalization about everybody right but obviously there's a medical patient argument this guy's infirm he has no transportation you should be able to deliver to him sure but i'm just talking the convenience of it and I'm, i'm also you know the public health aspect of it you could make the argument that the guy who's going out to drive somewhere to get the weed might find some place to use the weed and then continue driving. Now, we, you know and I know that marijuana drivers aren't a problem, especially those of us who have tolerance and who've been doing it for a long time. We're not a problem. Again, talking perception, right? The perception would be, if you want to make the perception argument, someone driving to the pot store and getting their pot is more dangerous than taking the pot to them at their house by their rules, by their rules, by the, by the rules of the prohibitionists that fear the stone driver, right? Well, if you're so afraid of stone drivers, why won't you let sober ones take weed to people? Right? So I don't don't even know what the argument is against a weed delivery service. It makes no sense to me. In fact, I would think that your average pot hating city council would legalize weed delivery services and put bans on storefronts. I'm trying to think from their point of view, right? Their point of view is weed is evil and it shouldn't be seen by the children. Well, if there were no storefronts and instead all weed was delivery weed, wouldn't that suffice? You wouldn't have pot shops. You wouldn't see them, right? I'm not arguing for that, by the way. I'm just saying from their point of view, wouldn't that make at least consistently logical sense but no there's nothing consistently logical about these people i should quit trying to find it the other uh, uh issue going on in the legal marijuana state of course is uh marijuana events marijuana public uh, uh usage right and this is going on in colorado a state lawmaker in colorado uh, representative dominic moreno is trying to create a new kind of license to allow pot to be lawfully sold and consumed on site at special events only open to people over 21. He says, quote, Amendment 64 asked us to regulate marijuana like alcohol. This bill creates the exact same special use permit process that we already have for alcohol. Now, of course, public consumption is illegal in all the legal states right now. Yes, you can have your marijuana, but by God, we better not see it. Better keep it secret. Better keep it hidden. Because if someone saw the marijuana, something bad would happen. I don't know. Anyway, it's illegal, right? So uh, the thing is, pot's a social drug, right? 
we're not legalizing heroin. If you legalized heroin and, and you know, everyone was going to take it at home and just use it by themselves, right? That's a different argument. But pot is the very definition of social drug. I've never seen anyone in a beer circle passing a stein of beer around and everyone taking a sip. <laughs> I've never seen that. I, I, joint circles, yeah. Two or three joints being passed around, absolutely. So, of course, we need a place to be able to publicly consume marijuana. And if you're going to treat marijuana like alcohol, then we should have a place to be able to use it. And what they're suggesting here is something that is even more strict than the alcohol thing. He's saying only at events subject to local government approval to run 9 a.m. to midnight at events that can only be events that are only open to people over 21. Now, I would actually, you know, I'd support that, but I'd point out that there's beer gardens and patio beer drinking at all sorts of places where kids are allowed in. It speaks to this cannabis bigotry, this cannabigotry that we all face. That, oh my God, you're such a reprehensible drug addict. We cannot bear to lay eyes on you. But we can have a beer at the Applebee's with the kids sitting there. No problem. Hell, we can get shots. <laughs> no problem. Because if the kids saw us drinking, why? We're just drinking. That's just something adults do. It's not as if they're drug addicts smoking pot. Disgusting. I, I really hope that this starts to sink in in culture. That people start to understand this. And I think it is. I think, you know, now that we're getting, you know, Chuck Lurie is shopping a, a, a pot shop sitcom, pot's just going to become passe. I see it in TV shows and I see it in movies where it's hap- pot smoking's happening, but it's not mentioned. It's not talked about. It's just nothing. It's just like part of the scenery, just like someone smoking a cigarette or drinking a beer, right? Like when you see someone in a movie smoking a cigarette, the movie's not about Bob the cigarette smoker, Bob and Tom and their cigarette adventure. <laughs> no, it's just this is the character smokes cigarettes. Same with booze. I mean, yeah, there's some movies about alcoholism and stuff, but most of the time booze in a movie is just sometimes it's a plot device. The characters are getting drunk, like hangover or whatever. But oftentimes the movie is just, you know, character had a drink, has a glass of wine. Uh, marijuana's getting there. Marijuana's getting to the place now where, oh, that character's smoking a joint. Oh. Uh, No big deal. And the more that happens, then the more these special event licenses and public consumption will be palatable to the general public. Just like, you know, Will and Grace made and Ellen made uh, gay marriage more palatable to the general public. It becomes something that's mundane. It's just average. It's normal. It's no big deal. But we're not there yet. And this thing in Colorado with, oh, my God, uh, oh, oh, gee, uh, we uh, we legalized pot, but uh, so should we give people a place to smoke it? Oh, gee, I don't know. Maybe if there's no kids there and only if the state local government can say no, because, you know, some places they don't want to see the pot smokers. Oh, dear. It's just it's just uh, infuriating sometimes, isn't it? Because this kind of bigotry. And that's what it is. It's bigotry. You can't explain it in any other way. This kind of bigotry 
would be so glaringly obvious if we were talking about gay people or Jewish people or uh, females or transgender or little people or the obese or well, maybe not the obese. They still get picked on pretty bad, too. But but you know what I mean? If if oh, should we should we have uh, I don't know, you know, uh, sugars and trans fats. Uh, gosh, oh, those are those are bad. We and, you know, we don't want our kids to get fat. We, we can't have that, uh, you know, chocolate and cake, you know, convention. Oh, maybe if only people over 21 are allowed in it, because, you know, if the kids saw a bunch of obese people, they might think that, you know, sugar and fats are, are okay to use. And then it'd be bad for the public health. And our kids might grow up to be fatties. And, oh, can you imagine the outrage for something like that? And God forbid we start talking about, uh, you know, black folks or gay folks, anything like that as well, man. We, you know, they come in to shut me down. It's amazing to me how, how people can't uncover the bigotry of it. A lot of it has to do with the fact that alcohol has its own vocabulary. You're not high, you're buzzed, you're not overdosed, you're drunk, you know, it has its own vocabulary. But just our whole culture can't even see the dichotomy, the disparity between how we treat people who use alcohol, the hardest drug out there, and how we treat people who use marijuana, the softest drug out there. And to fail to realize they're both drugs. We'll be right back. Stick around. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. I do not like them, Sam. I am. I do not like green eggs and ham. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina. Candid. I want to give you the inside story. Captivating. I want to introduce you to my kind and amazingly talented friends. Compelling. We get to meet some of the most amazing cannabis activists and warriors around. Listen in as medical marijuana pioneer Dr. Dina shares never-before-heard stories, chats with cannabis insiders and celebrity friends, and provides invaluable perspective and insight into one of the fastest-growing industries in the world. I want to share with you what was once confidential information. Let's expose the truth, discuss the issues, and learn the facts. Cannabis Confidential, only on CannabisRadio.com. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. 
in the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. 39 after the hour. Having a little fun here reading Think Progress, which points out uh, Ursula K. Le Guin. Does that name sound familiar to you? She's the world-renowned science fiction author. She won the Hugo and Nebula Awards. She wrote A Wizard of Earthsea, The Left Hand of Darkness, and The Dispossessed, among many, many books that Ursula K. Le Guin has written. One of science fiction's greatest authors lives right up here in northwest Portland. And she wrote a letter to the editor regarding the uh, the Bundy standoff, the Bundy militia out there in uh, Malher County, you know, Yal Qaeda. You know, vanilla ISIS out there uh, that has uh, taken the Malher uh, refuge out there. And she wrote a really good uh, letter to the editor, a little op-ed here uh, about uh, the Bundys. And it kind of dovetails in with what I was talking about earlier about Second Amendment people and the Constitution and the 16th Amendment with income taxes and People who think the Constitution's an a la carte menu and they just get to pick and choose the parts they want. You know, kind of like they do their Bible. So um, the piece goes, that's really short. The Oregonian's headline on Sunday, January 17th, Effort to Free Federal Lands, is inaccurate and irresponsible. The article that follows it is a mere mouthpiece for the scoff laws illegally occupying public buildings and land, repeating their lies and distortions of history and law. Ammon Bundy and his bully boys aren't trying to free federal lands, but to hold them hostage. I can't go to the Malheur Refuge now, though as a citizen of the United States, I own it and have the freedom of it. That's what public land is, land that belongs to the public. Me, you, every law-abiding American. The people it doesn't belong to and who don't belong there are those who grabbed it by force of arms, flaunting their contempt for the local citizens. Those citizens of Harney County have carefully hammered out agreements to manage the refuge in the best interest of landowners, scientists, visitors, tourists, livestock, and wildlife. They're suffering more every day, economically and otherwise, from this invasion by outsiders. Instead of parroting the meaningless rants of a flock of right-winged loony birds infesting the refuge, why doesn't the Oregonian talk to the people who live there? That's Ursula K. Le Guin writing in the Oregonian. The cost of the occupation is estimated to be $133,000 a day. Been out there for 18 days. And Le Guin, in an email to Think Progress, said, quote, They should make it clear, by words first, then by deliberate actions, that ranting about the Constitution does not get you a permit to break the law, fail to pay your grazing fees, cut a rancher's fences, steal government cars, misuse public property, and keep a lot of good American citizens under a stupid, brutal reign of terror now for 18 days. How much longer? Enough is enough. End quote. And I worry about this because we've got a lot of people who are very upset and angry, and a lot of them in our movement, and rightfully so, considering the way the government has broken down doors and and so forth. 
putting people in jail and shooting their pets and killing patients and just the terrible shit that's gone on. And then that leads to this feeling that the government itself, the very idea of having government is evil. Because the government in certain ways has done certain evil things. The whole idea and concept of government is evil and needs to be gotten rid of. That's where those anarchist types come up, right? To me, the problem with our government isn't our government. It's us as the citizens failing to live up to our responsibility to maintain and watch over that government mostly through our votes. Now, we can complain about the influence of big money, you know, Citizens United, the right-wing billionaires, the left-wing billionaires. They can buy this, they can buy that. We can, and that's a righteous complaint. Nothing wrong with that complaint. On the other hand, when our voter turnout is hovering in the... What's our latest voter turnout? 60%? U.S. voter turnout, 2012. Let's go with the last, you know, presidential election. Voting turnout in the U.S. presidential election was... Went down from 62.3% of eligible citizens in 2008 to 57.5% in 2012. It was 54.2% in the 2000 election. So it's actually gone up a little. When we can't even get 60% of our citizens to vote, what did you expect was going to happen to government? You gave more power disproportionately to the people who do vote and those guys with the money to be able to buy more of those votes. Now, there's all sorts of structural things wrong with our government that need to be fixed. I think we need to abolish the electoral college. I think we need to institute range voting. I think we need to take money out of politics. All sorts of things that, I mean, I'm not Pollyanna here. I mean, there's all sorts of things that are wrong with our government. But there's nothing wrong with government. The whole concept of people in a democratic or republican fashion, and I mean in the small case terms, a small letter, Democrat and Republican, uh, ways of organizing our resources to benefit the general welfare. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with our government that more participation in it wouldn't fix. I really strongly believe that. And I, I, I see, I'm hopeful, I see signs that we're headed that direction. But I'm telling you, 57%, 57.5% voter turnout not going to cut it. We need to do more to get involved in our government. We need to fight more for our right to vote and see that it is now I've, I've heard some interesting ideas about this in Australia. Voting is compulsory. You have to vote. I'm not for that. I'm not for compulsory voting because to me, that is government forcing me to have an opinion. And that violates my First Amendment rights to believe whatever the hell I want to believe, right? And to say or not say whatever I want to say or not say. So, no, I'm not for compulsory voting. Although, Australia, it seems to be working great for them. Another idea, and I saw this on The Daily Show the other night, was allow betting on voting. (laughs) Like, allow betting on the presidential race, congressional races, and all that. 
because they've shown it in some in some countries that do it 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 increases voter turnout and increases voter knowledge. They actually had this, uh, they, they took like six guys who were totally into fantasy football and didn't know jack shit about politics and then set up an experiment. And, and I don't know, this wasn't scientific. It was on the daily show, right? But they, they set it up where these guys would be betting on the presidential election. And when they came back after two hours, two, three hours of study, these guys had politics down. (laughs) They, they knew the inside, you know, just like the fantasy football guys. Oh, well, this receiver, he's playing against a defensive back over six foot tall uh, on grass in the rain. And his uh, catch percentage drops by 13%. They know that level of statistics. They got that detailed into the presidential politics. Well, Hispanics are going to turn out this way. And they sounded like they're on meet the press, man. So, you know, should betting be allowed on our elections? I don't see why not. Right? I'm generally, I'm generally for people being able to spend their money on stuff. (laughs) Right? As long, you know, other people want to spend money with them and we're all consenting adults that want to spend our money this way. I don't see why not. But I'll tell you what would really help voting in this country. Make it easier to vote. First of all, what's what's up with this, you know, having to register to vote? What what kind of, you know, buggy whip stagecoach anachronism is this? We've got a whole generation of kids who've grown up with 15 seasons of American Idol. Where you could vote by text, you could vote by call, you could vote online. And you're going to tell them, well, you need to go down to this government kind of library-ish office that you never, ever go to, and you need to fill out this form to tell them where you live, and you need to do that a certain number of days before, and then when it comes time to vote, you need to go to this other library-ish, government-ish building, uh, and then go punch a hole in a card uh, or or fill in a bubble on a piece of paper uh, to be able to vote for president, because it's really important. Everybody should do it. It's really, really important. But we're going to make it a real pain in the ass to do. And people say, oh, well, we can't have electronic voter registration or electronic voting. It could be hacked. Yes, so could ATMs. Why is it that people that have ATM cards and use ATMs and debit cards for transactions day after day after day after day aren't terrified that their money's going to be stolen any minute by a hacker? That any minute now, one of their little debit card transactions isn't going to work, even though they have money, because there's been an electronic glitch in the system or some so- some sort of uh, uh, sabotage or terrorism or or infiltration or somebody trying to cook the books. Why, why is there no fear about that in our ATM system? Why? Because it's encrypted, because there's checks and balances, because there's money at stake. Right. People trust that system works damn near perfectly. Now, there are glitches. There's the point zero 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 one type, you know, percent glitches that will happen in any system anywhere. Nothing's foolproof. But by and large, ninety nine point nine 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 percent of us use our ATM card every day. Debit card every day works just fine. We never have a problem with it. So why do we fear electronic voting? Well, Obviously, we have the mind, the brain power and the technology to come up with secure systems, secure redundant systems. Why not do it for voting? 
Now, I, you know, I understand the concerns about electronic voting machines and flipping votes and the shenanigans that go on that way. And yeah, we could worry about someone hacking an election. But my God, if we can come up with an ATM system to deal with trillions of dollars of currency, we can come up with a, a system to handle a few million votes, 100 million votes for various elections. Make voting easier. If I'm telling you, if pe- people could vote with an app on their cell phone, we would have 80, 90 percent voter turnout. They could vote online, not have to. Re- and, and the registration thing wasn't well, the voter registration. Well, we want to make sure you're not having a thousand people go from your city to some other state to vote for something and flood the polls or whatever. OK, I understand you want voter registration. We have all sorts of ways of ver- verifying people's address now. I know when I all sorts of things allow me to bring in a utility bill to prove I live somewhere, right? You should be able to register to vote on the same day you're voting. Even if it's electronic, I mean, the, the, the apps now, Weed Maps knows where I live, <laughs> right? How can this not be figured out? <laughs> I refuse to accept any of these excuses. And furthermore, other ways to get more votes? How about we make election day a holiday and put it on the weekend or or give people an entire week to vote hell here in oregon we do completely vote by mail you get a, a, a voter guide mailed to you you fill out your bubble sheet you mail in your ballot you got weeks and weeks to do it and our voter turnout turns out better than most everyone's but it still isn't in the 90s or anything because you gotta fill out a piece of paper and you gotta put a stamp on it in the envelope and get in the thing electronic voting Automatic voter registration, same-day voter registration, motor voter. You get your driver's license, you're automatically registered. You uh, register for the draft, you're automatically registered. Whatever it is, let's get more voting happening, and you'll see government turn out a whole lot better. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be. The Vuber way. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. And if standing for the Constitution make you a wacko bird, then I am a very, very proud wacko bird. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Midnight, July 1st, 2015, adult marijuana prohibition came to an end in Oregon. Immediately, over 400,000 adults who consume cannabis responsibly were no longer criminals. This is what freedom sounds like. Brought to you by Portland Oil.
the Fingerboard extension has fretted instruments to enhance your creativity. It has new and used guitars and banjos from beginning to high class. The Fingerboard extension has National Resophonic, Hassan Dalton, Larrabee, Heritage and Recording King guitars, and Mike Ramsey, Wildwood, Gold Tone and Recording King banjos. The Fingerboard extension also has drum stuff, used gear and parts. Stop by the Fingerboard extension downtown Corvallis, Oregon at 120 Northwest 2nd or check out the inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com and reverb.com. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. Reminder, coming up at the top of the hour, Stoner Jesus will be joining you. Hallowed be thy name. It's completely not safe for work, but completely recommended for laughing. Stoner Jesus coming up next, top of the hour, 5 o'clock Pacific, 8 o'clock Eastern Time, here on CannabisRadio.com. I'm Radical Russ, and uh, I got a piece up in Huffington Post in politics section that is uh, entitled, Hillary's detractors are sexist, we need a woman president. And I'm getting people, it's interesting because you get to find out how many people just read the title and then comment without reading the article. Because what happened is when I submitted this blog post, it was... Hillary's detractors are sexist slash we need a woman president. The whole point was to the whole point of the article is you can't complain about the sexist attacks on Hillary Clinton. And then at the same time, say we need a woman president because that's sexist too. that's sexism to say that we need a woman president as if her genitalia her haircut her clothing her you know, make a difference. Right. So that's what the article was about. And uh, a lot of people didn't get that. And they started attacking me like, oh, Hillary's this, Hillary's that. Uh. And I was like, um, no, <laughs> that's the, I, I agree with you. That, that's the point. And uh, nice to see the comments that were coming up and um, nice to see people responding to that. But again, a lot of people just not reading the entire thing. <laughs> Uh, also coming up on tomorrow's show, we've got some guests joining us. Gregory Fry and Max Simon will be joining us to talk about the Cannabis Health Summit. I think this is an online thing they're doing, so I'm quite interested to hear about that. And coming up on Friday, Stephanie, G- Stephanie Bishop may be joining us uh, to discuss the United Nations and mass incarceration. And there's a new economic impact study for the Emerald Triangle. So uh, Stephanie's longtime activist who calls into the show from time to time. We'll get her on on Friday and give you the updates on that stuff. And by the way, if you have any suggestions as to people I ought to be interviewing or people you want to hear from here on the Russ Belleville show, make sure you let me know. Uh, you can send me an email. You can always get in touch with me. I'm Radical Russ everywhere. Radical Russ at Gmail, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, SoundCloud, YouTube, Ustream, Periscope, uh, Skype, LinkedIn, Google+. <laughs> I'm Radical Russ everywhere. You can't miss me. That's all the time we got for today. Coming up next, Stoner Jesus is taking over on CannabisRadio.com. 
We'll be back tomorrow with more news and interviews you can use for the cannabis community. Coming to you live and direct from beautiful legal Potland, Oregon. I'm Radical Russ. For everyone here at Cannabis Radio, thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down to Avenue in Southeast Portland. Anthony Johnson will be there. Anthony Johnson was the chief petitioner of Measure 91, a transplant from the red state of Missouri. He'll make his historic first purchase there. And a big thanks to Matt Price, a longtime supporter of marijuana reform, the owner of Cannabis, who will be hosting Anthony Johnson. Sid Maurer, uh, she'll be making her first legal purchase at the Greener Side, a dispensary at 1553 Oak Street in Eugene, Oregon.